Hello, Andy Warren here and welcome to the latest episode of Takeover Tales, a series of podcasts looking at the stories around Ipswich Town's recent American takeover. We've already brought you chats with two of the new co-owners, Berke Bakai and Mark Detmer, but thanks to the last of the three Lions, Brett Johnson, the club also now has sister teams across the world. Maybe they should be sister-in-law, stepsister, cousin clubs, I don't know. Anyway, we've taken a look at Danish club Helsingor already with chairman Jordan Gardner, who is also working with Brett to potentially acquire Central Coast Mariners in Australia. So maybe the family could get a little bit bigger there. We all know about Phoenix Rising now, I think, and we've done two podcasts uh, looking at that club with with former Ipswich favourite Frank Gallup, who used to manage Phoenix uh, and current rising head coach Rick Schantz, looking at all things USL and and what the three Lions have brought to the club over there. But um, Brett Johnson also owns another team in Arizona, and this podcast serves as something of an introduction, hopefully, to FC Tucson, who currently play in the third tier of US football. Helping us do that is Amanda Powers, the club's president, who has a really good football CV, really varied and a really interesting background. She's kindly given up her time to talk to me about their ambitious club and what they have been able to achieve both on and off the pitch during her and Brett's time there. Hope you enjoy. Okay, well, welcome to another of our our Takeover Tales podcasts. We're looking into Ipswich Town's takeover and all the associated clubs around the world that seem to be being pulled together with Ipswich Town. And today we're looking at FC Tucson in Arizona in the United States. I'm really pleased that we're joined by the president of, of Tucson, Amanda Powers. Amanda, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, you know, our season's just kicked off and we're busy and working on pure momentum right now. Yeah, it's a busy time to start of the season, isn't it? It is. We um, we also host the MLS preseason here every year. So it was actually invented and that's sort of the history of the club is um, FC's Tucson started out as an events company. And um, Rick Shantz, who, you know, is the coach of Phoenix Rising and a few other, um, my vice president of soccer operations, John Perlman, and a few others started FC Tucson because they had great contacts throughout the MLS and nobody was doing any sort of preseason, um, you know, exhibition matches or any sort of spring training. And so uh, we had some, they, they, they made some calls. And at that time in 2011, David Beckham was playing for LA Galaxy. Terry Henry was playing for Toronto and they brought uh, those teams here and uh, sold out 10,000 seats in a baseball park for a preseason match. And um, which is, you know, is, is quite a story here in the United States. Um, and from that moment forward, um, FC Tucson was sort of born. They, they were able to put together a team uh, you know, a very pro-am sort of club to come in and play some matches against these MLS teams. And um, and ultimately, the MLS preseason event um, uh, held every January and February here was really an opportunity to sort of pay for the PDL team, the th- you know, the fourth division amateur team uh, that FC Tucson was up until 2019. And, um, and, and that was the reputation uh, that was sort of built here in Tucson was MLS preseason and really great PDL soccer that's produced some really top players. Okay, so is that just kind of your, your, your kind of dragging teams from across the country? They're coming down, playing each other in, in front of crowds in some nice weather, presumably. Is that, the, uh, is that how it all works out? Well, it's actually, it's kind of almost a deeper story. Um, I'm sitting right now in a 20,000 square foot clubhouse. I'm in the former general manager and owner's office of the Arizona Diamondbacks Major League Baseball team. Okay. Um, back in the early 2000s, this facility, there's a major sports complex, Kino sports complex that was built 
for the Colorado Rockies, the Diamondbacks, and the Chicago White Sox to come here and play minor league baseball preseason. And um, over the course of time, um, those teams left and went to Phoenix. And this place was vacant. I mean, it's phenomenal. I have four team locker rooms downstairs, a trainer room, um, a weight room, a referee, coaches' locker rooms. I mean, it's a fantastic facility. And then, of course, up here at the front office, I've got a 5,000-square-foot space. So ultimately, um, FC Tucson kind of came in as a solution to sort of the abandonment of the Major League Spring Training and um, got some political will involved, and they were able to convert all the baseball fields here to soccer. And so um, – that was sort of the impetus behind, you know, the MLS spring training is they knew some cold weather teams and, um, you know, the New England Revolution um, and, and, and New York Red Bulls, um, Toronto, that needed some warm weather to come down. And so um, every year we the MLS teams are our clients and they come down and get great Mexican food and stay at some beautiful resorts um, when it's like, you know, 20 below and um, <laughs> awful weather where they're coming from. So. Um, yeah, we, we've sort of prided ourselves over the years in being the host and inventing the sort of MLS preseason events. That's, that sounds like something I need to get myself over to. Um, obviously, we're talking from an Ipswich Town perspective here today. And the we- reason we're interested in FC Tucson is Brett Johnson, who um, who I understand is your is your owner. Um, so you must be working very closely with Brett, um, maybe not every single day, but you, you must be in touch with him. A lot. He seems like the kind of guy that's pretty hands-on, even if he's not around. Absolutely. Um, and just a little bit of backup on this. Um, uh, and I'm a very unlikely candidate to be the president of a soccer team. So at some point, if you'd like to hear that story, I'm happy to share that. But Absolutely um, would. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, ultimately, um, I got into the business about six years ago. And um, in 2019, I was consulting with another team um, in Tulsa, uh, the Tulsa Roughnecks, which was a a successful NASL team back in the 70s and 80s. They won a national championship in 83, and they used to pack the stands with 25,000 fans. Um, And uh, I was was just sort of... um, helping some different ownership groups around the USL to really tell them what's involved in building a football club and, and helping them to really build empathic brands that speak to the general consumer, not necessarily your soccer purist um, fan. But ultimately um, I got a call when I was in, in Tulsa um, from Brett and he said, I love what you did at New Mexico United. I have a huge uh, opportunity for you in Tucson. Can, can you, can you, can we, can we discuss this? And I said, you know, it sounds a little half baked right now. Give me a ring. And um, <laughs> when you've got some more information and, and, and let's talk. So uh, about um, a month and a half later, I was sort of winding down my contract with Tulsa and Brett calls again. And he says, can you be in, in, in Tucson this weekend? It's hard to, the alliteration is interesting. Tulsa to Tucson. I had to get uh, <laughs> adjusted to that. But ultimately I, I flew down with my husband to, to Tucson, which is just 60 miles north of the Mexico border um, in Sonoran, Mexico. And um, immediately fell in love with the site, um, with, with, with the club, the, the city, the University of Arizona is a world-class institution. It's a true and true college town. Um, but the food here, the people, um, and, uh, you know, he shared with me his vision for this club. Um, and so I said, sure, I'm in. Yeah, you were talking about the club being kind of an amateur club. 
just just previously. But you, you've moved up a league, haven't you? You're not you're not that amateur club anymore. You're you're USL League One, aren't you? Which is just one below Phoenix Rising. Is that right? Correct. We're third division um, and League One, and and this is something that I always try to you know I, I mean. It's a perspective is so important um, in our industry in American soccer. Um, you know, we don't have the cachet of of being a English football leagues. Um, we don't. We, there's still quite a bit of education that has to happen to the general consumer. Um, but ultimately, we're in a the infancy of a sports league, and really the infancy. Even though you know, Open Cup has been around for over 100 years in the United States, soccer has been around for 100 years. Um, mainstream soccer is still not hit that critical mass in this country yet. Um, but the, things are changing. Um, but ultimately it's a, it's a new league. It's third division. Um, it's part of the USL family, um, which I think has done a phenomenal job in, in the last three or four years in particular in bringing great new ownership groups who see these soccer clubs as an important community asset, which is very much, I think, the spirit of soccer in England. Um, and so you, you're seeing this sort of new wave of ownership groups who want to give back to the community, um, who, who see the, the long-term sort of um, potential of soccer in the United States and, and they want to get in and, and provide a good product. I think we'll, we'll get onto that side of things a little bit more in a bit, if that's okay. But that, just very briefly, that, that's the kind of thing that Ipswich Town fans want to hear about their owners in terms of com, uh, community. Ip, Ipswich is a, is a small town, but it's got a big football club in it. It's, it's kind of almost mismatched in that, in that sense, but it, it really is part of the community. And it sounds like both your club there in Tucson and also, uh, Brett's club just a bit up the road in Phoenix are exactly the same. So it feel, it feels like these guys are, are kind of, it's a, a good marriage that, that's come about here. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, I, um, I can't tell you, um, I, I, first of all, I should just say that, you know, when I, one of the things that I left with when I came down to Tucson was, um, you know, he had asked me, um, you know, what concerns do you have? And I said, well, just the ability to make some decisions and being able to have that autonomy and agency to, to head a club and make those decisions. And he said, not a problem. Next question. And, you know, and he gives me a lot of latitude. He's a very busy man, um, but we are aligned in a vision. Um, we both, I think, are very creative. Um, Brett has a lot of great ideas. I think, you know, he and I kind of use a little bit of our futuristic strengths in terms of where we see things going and, and I think are very rooted. And I think a, a very, um, I would say not um, humble, but a, a very realistic sort of path and how you reach those goals. Um, and, and those goals are being the best, you know, but you, you can't, that doesn't happen overnight. Um, but being highly strategic in how you approach those goals is something that we're in alignment with. Is there like a formal, formal link between you and Phoenix rising? I, I read maybe that you've, gone kind of are you an independent club now rather than being actually part of the phoenix rising group as such yes we are so um from 2011 to 2017 late 2017 fc tucson was owned by a small group of managing members here um that sold the club to phoenix rising uh phoenix rising has ambitions um you know, to, to kind of extend the sport to the whole state um, and saw an opportunity to come in and purchase FC Tucson um, as a PDL, as a development team to rising. Um, and so they did in 2018 and um, had a good year. 
Um, and then in 2019 was the first year that we went pro. Um, and candidly, um, there is, there's a Darby in the making here. Um, ultimately, uh, Phoenicians and Tucsonans have a pretty major gripe, um, which right. I love, right? That, that's, <laughs> yeah, so and, that and, sounds perfect. And so in many ways, and I'm, I know the Ipswich Town fans can appreciate this, um, in many ways, um, that really hurt FC Tucson's brand in the community and support of the fans. Um, when a rising team came in and bought the club and said, uh, we're the big brother and, and this is just a development team that didn't play well with the fans. And so by the end of 2019, uh, ticket sales were down, financial losses were high. Um, and, and, and I think Phoenix rising had this unbelievable year of 22 straight, you know, wins. They set all sorts of national American football records and they were just very focused on what they were trying to accomplish. Um, and by the end of the year, they were like, what are we going to do with this asset down in Tucson? And that's when I got the call to come down here and sort of turn things around and almost reset the club. And, um, and, and, and that's what we did. And so I came in, um, I moved here on New Year's Eve, 2019, and my husband was still back in Albuquerque and uh, we hit the ground running very, very hard. We were probably trailing all other teams in the league, you know, in terms of scouting, um, season ticket sales, planning by about six months, um, and then, of course, COVID hit. We had launched season ticket sales on March 11th. And then, you know, the season went on hiatus March 12th. Um, and then I had to go get my husband and move down here on March 20th. So that was pretty interesting. But ultimately, um, I knew right away if there was one change that I could make to help advance the business goals of FC Tucson is that I had to split technical. Um, we had to create a clear delineation between FC Tucson and Phoenix Rising, and I needed Coach Gallus to be able to build his own team. We had we had some holdover players from the previous year, and and, and Rick and, and to their credit, Phoenix Rising had done some of the scouting, some of the players. We had a Northern Ireland player, um, now Logue, some some people that you know Rising had scouted. But ultimately, the the season that we had, we we needed to to focus on winning. I knew there was nothing. E the best way to sell a ticket is to have a winning have a winning season, but that's not always guaranteed. Um, so we had to make that, um, put our flag um, in the sand, if you will. And um, and then, of course, the pandemic hit, a lot of things to factor in there. And then by the end of the year, we formally split from Phoenix Rising and now our official independent club. And clearly Brett supported that he, you've said there that you've said there that he is he gives you the power to to run this club how you want to but owning both of them he clearly kind of supported that that move did he absolutely i think and it, and and i don't know if brett shared this with you but um you know his whole investment in arizona united which was prior sort of the precursor to phoenix rising um you know, he had he had had interest in Tucson. Tucson at that time was a more successful football club than Arizona United, and he had seen it firsthand the potential for soccer in this region. Again, with the other thing is the training facilities. Any American club, and also in England as well. You know, training facilities are, are so important, and they're expensive. We've got them all sort of baked in here. So this is an existing asset that I think just if you could polish it off and or in our case, maybe do kind of somewhat of a major overhaul, um, you know, th there's some real potential down the road um, in, in all sorts of ways to, to diversify the club, but also to, to restore championship um, quality of play. Would that involve maybe mo moving up a division and, and making that derby with Phoenix uh, more of a regular thing you'd play them every year wouldn't you if, if you moved up is that in the in the in the stars 
can't say it's not great sounds good to me um i need to know why i need to know why you're you're not a typical candidate to be a football club president. You've you've, te- you've teased that. So, uh, so why why is why are you not why are you not a typical candidate for that kind of job? Yeah, you certainly it, you sound like you sound like you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I grew up in a blue collar um, sort of household. My parents were machinists, and I grew up in San Diego, California. Um, I was a swimmer. I never played soccer a day in my life. Um, I was a total jock, but I was raised. Um, by some union labor organizers. Um, and I grew up at the union hall actually, um, and watched my parents organize movements. Um, I was sort of on the political trails with them growing up. My mom worked for Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers Union in 1973. Um, and I grew up in a very sort of, especially in a border town in San Diego, I, I speak fluent Spanish and I, um, understand, you know, the Mexican American Chicano dynamics as well. Um, and multiculturalism, but at the heart of it, I grew up a humanitarian and, and also very much a patriot, um, you know, for me, my first soccer experience was uh, aside from the 94 World Cup, but also the 99 World Cup. And, and of course, the U.S. women, um, Brandi Chastain and that famous moment of her taking off her jersey and, you know, sliding in with her sports bra. But I, I was a, a very accomplished swimmer. Um, I was an All-American in college and um, always set my sights on Olympics and um, trained under some Olympic coaches and always sent my sights very, very high to be a high performer in the water, but also to be a, a businesswoman. Um, but I have this sort of interesting pedigree of, of high, high performing athlete, um, you, you know, sort of activism and then business. And um, I, I ended up in New Mexico sort of by accident. Um, I, I finished my studies in the Bay Area, uh, started sort of studied a new economic thinking, international business and ended up in New Mexico um, only to become a corporate dropout. And ultimately, um, I was seeking out opportunities to really work on exciting, um, big ideas, big challenges, things that if you told, you know, if somebody tells you that can't be done here, I say, oh, yeah, let's see, I, I, I'll take that challenge. Let's make that happen. So uh, ultimately, um, I was working in um, sort of economic development um, industry. And I had run across a friend of mine who was a big Liverpool fan and actually was the president of the 505 Reds Club in Albuquerque. His name's Ron Patel. And Ron uh, was running the PDL team there, which is now USL League Two, um, which actually used to be a big rival with FC Tucson. Uh, They used to have the the Golden Rattler Cup um, back in the day. But ultimately, I ran into this gentleman who was just so passionate about soccer. His claim was, you know, he was born in the same hospital as John Lennon and was so Liverpool through and through. But he he had a big vision for New Mexico. And just so you all understand, like the Southwest of the United States is suffering terribly in terms of child welfare, education, um, and opportunity. And there's a lack of investment. And and it's just important to kind of understand that that's part of the spirit. And and there's this underdog sort of mentality that exists where these towns like Tucson and Albuquerque or even Tulsa are often overlooked by Denver, Los Angeles, Dallas, um, Phoenix. And there's a spirit among the people that is just dying to, to, to be sort of harvested, collected, and um, inspired. And so ultimately, this guy, Ron Patel, says, I want to I bring pro soccer to the state of New Mexico, but we need to build a 10,000-seat stadium. And I said, 
well, how, how do you plan to do that? What's your due diligence process? What sort of feasibility analysis have you done? And he's like, I don't know what any of those words mean. I go, I'm going <laughs> to help you. So I ended up doing pro bono work. Um, and I think to any of the females out there listening, I worked for free for this opportunity. I don't know how many people would, would do that, but I, I think my, I've gotten to where I've gotten in my career because I've always seen been in the right place at the right time and took advantage of an opportunity when I saw it. But it was painstaking. Um, for a year, I basically did market studies, advisory councils, you know, groups, and, and, and advocated to bring pro soccer to the state of New Mexico. And, and it was during that process, yes, I, I kind of inadvertently became a Liverpool fan. Um, but ultimately, um, I, I, I found the power, I, I fell in love with soccer business. And I could see this as a platform to do so many things, to bring good um, in ways that swimming couldn't, baseball couldn't, American football couldn't. And I just fell absolutely in love with the sport. So ultimately, the city of Albuquerque um, caught wind of what we were working on. And um, and Ron, of course, was out there passionately telling the story. And um, they hired me uh, to write an economic impact study for a downtown soccer stadium. So um, that's how I got like truly into the business and sort of became a subject matter expert in these sort of downtown facilities. And um, I submitted this 120 page report and I heard crickets for nine months. Um, in that nine months, my father suddenly passed away, um, who was an important figure in my life. And he was living with me at the time. And it, when, when something like that happens, it really changes your entire outlook and perspective on your life. You start thinking like legacy, you start thinking about a lot of different things. And ultimately, I, I was convalescing uh, with my family up in Colorado, helping my sister. She had just adopted a couple of little girls and we had just lost her father. And, and, and I got a call out of the blue from Ron Patel and Peter Trevisani. And Peter um, is, is the owner of New Mexico United. Uh, but at the time when they called me, um, he said, I read your feasibility study. Um, I want to do something great for the state that's sort of earth moving. Um, and I want you to come help me do that. Um, what do you say? And so I left Colorado. I came back down to Albuquerque and met them and they had no business plan. They had nothing. And I just said, what are we doing here, guys? Um, we've got to build a football club. We're going into second division U.S. soccer. We've, we're committing to playing in a 14,000 seat facility when there's a 6,200 seat soccer, you know, a proper soccer field across the street. And you're going to play in a 14,000 seat baseball stadium. This is kind of crazy. I need let, let, and so ultimately, um, it was sort of again. I think we caught lightning in a bottle, but it was Peter, Ron, and myself who were sort of the co-founders of what's now New Mexico United, and I was the startup COO and and basically helped to put a mission, and and my ethos and sort of what I was bringing to the table was we need to understand what our community is going through right now. What are, what are in the hearts and minds of the people? We can't just go out there and shove football down their face and expect people to just adopt the product. You know, we have to like really think about the consumer and the fan. Um, and so just using a little bit of my market research background and spending a lot of time and just, you know, talking with people and understanding the history, um, we were able in a very short amount of time to build a very successful second division team that quite literally um, has given the people of New Mexico a, a, a sense of purpose and tradition. And if you anybody, you know, goes and looks that up, um, I think we achieved, you know, what we had set out to do. And and so, yeah, and so in, in that moment, I, I sort of developed a reputation and, and, and have now, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do the same here in Tucson.
The more the more I hear about the USL, the more the more I like. You've you've just spoken about the New Mexico there. I, I've read some things about you, you're doing in Tucson, and we'll maybe get onto that in a minute. I read about Brett's project in Pawtucket in New in Rhode Island, and and it's so community based, isn't it? It's all about like the the Brett the project Brett's got up in New England. There is it's about regenerating an area, isn't it? And 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 breathing some life into a part of a city that that's maybe a bit unloved. It's is that common across the whole league, or is it just everything that that Brett Johnson and his kind of associates uh, are involved in? Because it, it it sounds so so wholesome <laughs> at a time where in, in English football, I think it's it's almost getting to the stage where where supporters have sometimes being seen as almost like cash cows and just to, there to be made money out of. Whereas whereas you guys in it certainly in this league, it all seems to be so community driven. I really, truly believe that's the only way that soccer will grow sustainably and be successful. Um, and I think a lot of the credit goes to Alec Papadakis and the United Soccer League and the vision and the investments that they've made over time. Everything from the di- digital infrastructure to be able to be on ESPN Plus was a big deal. Um, and then, of course, um, what what I call sort of second and third tier city love, um, you know, so much of the Rust Belt you know, communities where, um, and obviously, I mean, uh, the political turmoil that we've experienced in our country in the last year as well, I think, I think very deeply about what, what the new American patriot really is, you know, and I think if we're going to focus on soccer, you know, the U.S. men have failed again to qualify for the Olympics. And when you think about how, how are you going to, how are you going to build a sport? It's about pride. It's about tradition. It's about giving people a sense of identity. And I think right now, after a year, especially of being, you know, isolated and apart and now almost being, you know, somewhat afraid to come out and connect with people again, we're at sort of a really unique time to shape the narrative of what community means in sort of a post-COVID environment. Um, but, But this was happening before. I think what you've seen... American soccer has has failed over many you know decades, um, and we've taken the lessons of that. And what I what I believe is that in order for a U.S. soccer team, especially at second or third division, to be successful, first of all, it's the only shot that a lot of these cities are going to ever have a pro team. You're not going to have enough NL, NFL team. You're not going to have an NHL. So this is it. So let's let's take it. Let's embrace it. And I think the other thing that you're seeing is the ability to speak to the general sports fan or the general person who really just cares about their community. If you can meet that sort of mark, um, I have no doubt that these clubs are going to be successful and really be in a good position for when the World Cup comes here in 26. Yeah, I've, we've spoken to, to Brett and his, uh, the other, they call themselves the three lions, don't they? Brett, uh, Mark Detmer and, and Burke, or I'm sure you know those guys well. But what, what is, um, Brett, Brett's the only one involved with you there at, at Tucson, really. So what is he, What's he like to work for as an owner? What what can the the uh, they're about to bring in a new CEO in in your position at Ipswich Town uh, called Mark Ashton? Uh, what can he expect from from working for a club owned by by Brett Johnson? Brett is an excellent listener, um, and I think that's really important. Um, he also has a lot of trust in the people that he hires. Um, and gives them quite a bit of latitude and opportunity to perform. Um, it's not without saying that if you, if you're not, you know, that 
poor performance leads to continued job security. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, um, what you can expect from Brett is somebody who is pragmatic, somebody who really likes to see a solution. Um, we have another colleague, um, Dan Krober, who's working with John, um, uh, Brett on the uh, Rhode Island project. And um, he will say that Brett is the eternal optimist. And I, I, I believe that. And, and so working for Brett is balancing the eternal optimism with some of the cynicism. And I'm sure some of your fans have a lot of that right now. And obviously yes. you guys are talking about <laughs> a reset, right? You guys are in a major reset right now. So um, I think, you know, the biggest thing is, is that he's a, he's a person of patience and he understands this is not going to be something that just is automatic overnight, but he understands that it's about moments, just like it's moments in the game that you have to capitalize on. It's going to be moments in rebuilding infrastructure, rebuilding teams. Um, and, and at the right time, capitalizing on that um, to, to, to make something happen out of that moment. Are you keeping an eye on Ipswich? It sounds like you've, uh, sounds like you're casting a little eye over what, what's going on at, at Brett's new toy across the pond. A little bit. We've um, so one of the first orders of business that I had when I came here is I said, "Who's our team archivist?" Um, and that was uh, some. And I was like, "What's our history?" You know, um, for me, that's so important um, is to really understand the history of an organization before I make any sort of recommendations. And so um, we have a historian. His name is Dave Ord, and he's the one who brought in the Ipswich Town T-shirt that we did a little tweet on. And this is just your classic soccer nerd. He's got like a whole house, you know, garage dedicated to all these found objects over the course of his life. He's just, you know, been to every World Cup and he's just this amazing person, um, wealth of information. So he's been feeding me quite a bit. Um, candidly, I'm not very active on social media. Yes, I have a Twitter account, but um, I, I'm actually very interested in the women's team as well. We have a women's team here. Um, uh, that will be kicking off here in June. But um, no, I I love a good um, I love a good David versus Goliath story. I love a um, I love I love the sort of if we could use the metaphor of the the you know rising from the ashes, the phoenix um, of what the potential is for Ipswich Town. I think you guys should be so excited mm -hmm. and but patient. But I can understand the balance of frustration and cynicism, um, and then of course you know the Americans coming in. Um, I understand that, um, but yeah, we're watching from afar, and I'm hoping that we can um, build some alliances. The women's team are going places here at Ipswich as well. They've had they've had two brilliant seasons, brilliant seasons, but both of them have been kind of cut short at different ends by by COVID, which means they didn't necessarily achieve what they deserved to achieve. Um, but there's hope that they may be allowed to kind of move up the levels anyway, because they're they're definitely going places. And I, I know Brett has an interest in this side of things as well, and um, hopefully they can really benefit from from this from this takeover. But are you? Are you worried about having to share Brett that little bit more? Because he spreads himself. He seems to be spreading himself quite thin across across Phoenix. Um, obviously, Tucson, Denmark. Thinking about going to Australia uh, with a club, and and, there, and now England. How how does he how does he manage all of that? I guess it's by having people like you in position, isn't it? That he trusts to to, to run his businesses for him. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that, and and I think you know if you, I mean, I I know that. Um, 
I know that with the purchase of Ipswich, it's 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 sort of reached a different level of 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 sort of time and attention. I think I've seen that shift in him definitely in the last you know few months. Um, and so yeah, we're just very mindful of each other's time. I think Burke obviously talks to him quite a bit. I, I get one check in a week, and then obviously we do we do some texting. But um, you know, yeah, I think that um, a great leader um, hires great people. And they surround themselves around great people that they trust. And it sounds like that's what they're doing in Ipswich Town as well. Yeah. Yeah, it seems that way. Can I let's quickly ask you before we move on? I hear he's got a twin brother, Brett. Yeah. Have you, are we talking identical twins here? Or we, yes. Or, or how easy are they to tell apart? Have you ever been in that situation? <laughs> have you been in that situation? I haven't been. No, I haven't been yet. Um, I did go to the Phoenix Rising New Stadium opening a few weeks back um, and had a chance to to meet with Brett and his cousin. But no, I have not met his twin brother yet. But I think at the time the time will come soon. Maybe that's how he's doing all of this all around the world <laughs> by by sending by sending his brother into uh, to Ipswich. That's that's a, a good a good way of doing things. How how's the new Phoenix Stadium looking? We've um, we've heard a lot about that and and the growth that they've had recently. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I mean, it, you know, it's on a completely opposite side of town. So it's about another 25 miles for fans to drive than what they're used to. Um, and so uh, it was quite pleased, you know, we're at 50% capacity. So there was 5,000 people there um, a few weeks back. And as of, I think their first game in June, it will have full, full 100% capacity. So the night that uh, they had the opening, um, you know, obviously, you know, people are, people have learned, Arizona has been a relatively open state um, during COVID, but ultimately people are, are distancing, they're wearing masks, they're being respectful of each other's space. And that night you, you know, playing San Diego Loyal with, you know, uh, Landon Donovan and his crew and some of the rivalry that's been there. Um, it was a special night. There was a certain energy in the air. And ultimately um, it, 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 I think, it was a good a good thing for for Phoenix to get there, and um, I spoke with their GM Bobby Dooley briefly that night, and he said he could have sold twenty thousand tickets. So um, yeah, it looks great. I'm happy for them. Again, like what Phoenix Rising's doing, what New Mexico United's doing, what what Sac- you know, so many of the clubs in America that are um, all sort of moving towards this single sort of goal of elevating the game nationally. So we can build a better U S men's national team at the end of the day, you know, like we've got to, we've, we've got to have these wins with these nicer facilities and start to educate the public of that. You can't really play soccer in a baseball stadium. The sight lines aren't good. Um, that, you know, and, and now New Mexico United's moving forward with their stadium build. So, you know, there, there, I, I truly believe in the next five years when the world cup is here, that is, going to be no doubt the watershed moment for our sport in this country that I think will truly surpass um, the other major sports. I think the thing that's excited me the most about about uh, Brett and his ownership group over here he's, he's clear he's appointed there are people appointed to run the football side of things over here it's a big like you've said it's a big summer reset for, for Ipswich Town they need to get it right on the pitch but off off the pitch as well um I think they they can really bring a sense of community to this football club. I've been reading some of the stuff that that you've been doing at Tucson, particularly during the the pandemic, with like block parties and things like that, watch parties and things like that, all along along the way. And if and if some of that kind of stuff can translate over into Ipswich, it could make a really good atmosphere, couldn't it? Because those those block parties sound great. Can you just tell us yeah. a little bit more about those? Well, um, when the pandemic broke out. Um, 
I pulled my coaching staff aside. And again, I'm a first year president of, of, of men's pro soccer. I'm the second ever female president in U.S. men's soccer. And it's and, and again, I'm not a technical expert. Um, I just hire them. Um, and I had to pull my VP of soccer ops, and my head coach, John Gallus, aside and and go, you know, if we're not playing football, who are we? You know, and when you're trying to rebuild a culture of, of, of a club, which I think very much is what Ipswich Town is trying to do right now, you have to re kind of define who are you? Are you defined by your history, which I know is rich and, um, you know, and how do we kind of marry a little bit of that rich history with who who, who you are today and what you what you aspire to be? And so when the pandemic broke out, um, I, I felt very much um, like the captain of my ship. And ultimately, um, I didn't know if we were going to return to play, but I knew I had guaranteed contracts. I knew that we had to pay for housing. I knew we had to have all these expenses go out the door. And I knew my community was going to fall apart. I knew that this was going to be bad. I knew that we were going to have that tens of thousands of people pass away, um, that we were going to have economic insecurity. And so I just thought, I needed commitments from my coaching staff that we were going to show up for the community no matter what. I know there's a tendency to kind of isolate these players. Of course, we have med- we didn't have medical protocols at this time, but last March. But ultimately, what I, I needed to get confirmation with my coaches was if we need to go pick up food boxes and deliver them to granny, I need I need these healthy bodied men. You know, it's very much like wartime sort of mentality was going on for me. And so that was one that was sort of like the initial sort of um, sort of cornerstone, I think, of building an ethos as a club. And ultimately, we took that through the season. um, And then at the end of the season, I said I thought more sort of macro where's our community at, you know, when you have domestic violence on the rise, maybe you've got, you know, consumption of alcohol and drugs on the rise, kids dropping out. And I think about young men, I think about what's happening to our young men in America, like what's our future here and all the generation that's going to be lost from this. We won't be able to see those results for months and years to come, but they're coming. And so ultimately the spirit behind the Barrio to Barrio campaign that you're talking about, these pop-up block parties was how can we sort of insert ourselves in the community to spread joy again? How do we rebuild the community after a year of isolation and also political strife? Um, this is a very divided country still, you know? And so with soccer, which I think is an ongoing question of sort of what's soccer's role in politics, I'd rather be apolitical and just be about good and talk about what we're about. And so with the Barrio to Barrio campaign in Tucson, it's all barrios. We're known as the old Pueblo and it's barrios or neighborhoods. And we wanted to to basically spread the beautiful game and build community through the game. So we do these challenge games for kids to win medals and we're giving away tickets. Uh, we've got live music, food trucks, um, TIFO painting. Like there's so much about the soccer culture that an education that needs to happen here. So we just were using these block parties as, as a way to educate and get people interested in the club. Cause most people don't know about the club. We also have an, a youth affiliate with 3000 kids. So people oftentimes, again, think of the, uh, this is part of the, the reset that we have to do here. They think of the youth club. And so this was just really my way of saying we're here. Um, we're, we want to be a part and in the middle of the conversation of how do you, you know, safely build community again in a post pandemic world. I think, um, I think there are a lot of Ipswich people maybe hoping that one day Ipswich maybe come out to 
to Arizona or at the very least like Phoenix Rising come over to play some games over here but if uh, if Ipswich come out they could come and play play down at Tucson as well couldn't they they don't need to just go to Phoenix would love it I would absolutely love it and uh well, we've got to get we've got to get some facilities that meet your criteria, I think. But um, uh, when I was at New Mexico United, we were able to play Cardiff City, which was kind of fun. Um, but uh, yeah, I would love that. Maybe we can bring up a team from Mexico as well and make it a little triad. Just bring some of those bring some of those food trucks along. Some sort of New Mexico, Arizona Mexican food sounds sounds perfect to me. Yeah, this is actually, uh, Tucson is a city of UNESCO uh, distinction. It's got the UNESCO city of gastronomy. So quite, it quite literally is, 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 is sort of um, known globally as one of the best food places in the world. Well, that sounds good to that. me. That sounds good to me. And it sounds like a perfect way to end. I'm sure, I'm sure you're very busy today. So thank you so much for your time, Amanda. And thank you for, for introducing us a little bit to uh, another one of Ipswich Town's new cousins in, in FC Tucson. And hopefully one day we can, um, we can, uh, we can come over, get some sun on our backs and, and play some games in, in Arizona. I'd love that. What's a good saying that you and your fans say? You, you got all of the tractor boys, right? The tractor boys. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, that's uh, that's about twenty years old. That that nickname. It started off as an insult. Uh, it was an insult from other teams because it's quite a, it's an agricultural area over here. But um, we we kind of just went with it and we own it. So uh, yeah, that's okay. who we are. How do you how do you all usually close out your meetings? We say Fuerza Tucson here. <laughs> I, I normally just hang up. I'm not very good at ending meetings. We whenever we host these podcasts. I'm terrible, terrible at ending them. Um, but Forza Tucson sounds like a perfect way, way to end. Amanda, thank you so much for your time. Uh, best of luck to everyone at Tucson uh, for, for the rest of the season. Thank you.